Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome back to the show this week. My favorite day of the week, my favorite time of the week, as those who listen to me all the time know, I say it every week, but I truly, truly mean it, because doing this show just gets the juices flowing of excitement and joy and and just passion, because sharing my guests with you, sharing new ways of looking at what you're dealing with, learning new questions, because I really, truly believe that the right questions can change your life, is what gets me through every single day, just preparing for the show, finding the right guests for you. And this week is no different. And last week I had Kim Becker, the founder of Hello Gorgeous, on the show. And we talked about recovering from life's disruptions, and she shared some amazing stories from her own life and how even though everything seemed like it was going south, she's managed to bounce back, to recover. And it's a constant moving target at times. But today we're going to talk, we're going to take that conversation even further. And we're going to talk about boundaries and burnout and how to know if it's time to take a step back, to reevaluate, to see what it is that may be having you uncertain about whether you want to wake up in the morning and go to work or deal with whatever you've been dealing with. And my guest today is Michael Levitt. He's the CEO of Breakfast Leadership. He's a top 20 global thought leader on culture, a host of one of the top business podcasts, Breakfast Leadership. But more than that, he's somebody that I've met along the way. And listening to his show, I was a guest on his podcast as well, Talking about boundaries and burnout, it's such a serious health issue that the World Health Organization has now listed it as an occupational syndrome. This is real. Burnout is not fake. It is something really real. And, Michael, I know that you have lived it yourself. Great to be with you today, Laura. And, yes, uh, burnout is something that uh, I I knew about uh, quite close and personal a decade ago, and it uh, changed my life forever. And yet, people still aren't certain it's real. They're like, just get over it. Just shake it off. But but it's really not. I mean, I sold my company when I realized I was completely burned out and there was no way to revitalize it, that I just didn't have it in me anymore. And it turned out to be one of the best things I ever did. But at the same time, I felt like I failed. Yeah, it's one of those things in society where we're all pressured to perform and we're all pressured to succeed and we are constantly bombarded with images of success and social media is a great example of it where everyone is posting their best pictures their best experiences people aren't posting the challenges they're facing you're not seeing that anywhere Uh, they keep it very close fasted because they think that society will judge them as a failure Uh, burnout is, is one of those things that uh, is quite rampant. We see about it all the time. I'm thankful that the World Health Organization has recognized it as a cultural phenomenon in, in, in syndrome because I see it in every industry, every walk of life, every race, every gender, um, every, every everybody you know across the board. Uh, and where I work in downtown Toronto, 
you know, I see people walking on sidewalks. They like to walk uh, throughout the day. And I'm seeing zombies amongst us because people are just burned out from, from life and from the challenges they're facing, which is really concerning to me, uh, especially in Toronto in the summertime, because our summers are very short here, unlike you know, Florida that has year-round summer. Uh, here it's a couple of months of decent weather. The rest of the time it's so-so uh, or winter. Uh, and the thing of it is, I even this summer I've noticed a lot more people seem to be more irritated. Uh, they're grumpy. They're tired. They're burned out. And it's like, that's the best time of year. I'm like, what is going on here? And I know the reason behind this because people are burning out and they, they think that they can get through it. They think, oh, it's just a busy season. But that season never ends. It's, it's like watching a Netflix show that just keeps repeating. It doesn't end unless you address by changing uh, the way that you're living your life. Yeah, I was looking at different definitions of burnout, and the one that really stuck out for me was this definition of a state of vital exhaustion. And, you know, I've looked at my life over a number of years, and my listeners know I'm dealing with this ear issue. I mean, as I'm talking to you, I can feel the vertigo nausea going. But... It's like vital exhaustion, an exhaustion so deep that you it's like you have no reserves left in you. You can't even pull yourself up and go, okay, let me, let me just get this last ounce and go forward. I mean, that is frightening to me that we're seeing this, Michael, so prevalent in the world today. And there are other people that it never seems to bother them. But we're seeing more and more people, not only at work, but in home situations, being completely drained. What do you think has shifted and changed, other than social media, which we know is is a total energy suck? I, I, I think, and this is something I talked about uh, last year, I don't want to pinpoint smartphones as being the core reason, but it has a huge factor in it because with our smartphones, we are constantly connected um, with email and text messaging from our employers, our bosses texting us and emailing us at all hours, and us not having the boundaries to say, I'm off the clock. I'm not working. Uh, I use this example a lot. My dad worked for General Motors, and for the majority of his career, he worked in the assembly plant. And the last, I'd say, five or six years of his career, he worked at the engine plant, so his role was to drive a forklift and deliver engines to the assembly line so they can put them in the cars and, and finish building the cars. I never once saw Dad bring a forklift home in the driveway. True. He bring his work home. And now, mentally, he did because, of course, in the auto sector, there was a lot of ups and downs, and sometimes there's you know, risk of layoffs, and I know that you know he was coming close to, you know, getting laid off, you know, based on, on consolidation and whatnot. But thankfully, he was able to retire early uh, and avoid um, that that saga. But he didn't physically bring his work home. He did mentally. Well, now, everybody with smartphones and email and text messaging and everything else, if there isn't boundaries established by the organization and the employee on when they're available to work and when they're not, it opens up this door of constant communication. So you're and you're so you're constantly working. 
you don't have an off switch. You don't have a break in your schedule where from 9 to 5 you work, morning before that and evenings and weekends you don't. Uh, so it's blurred lines. So basically people could be responding to their boss at 11 o'clock at night. Um, uh, would you go in now, and this is an example I, I, I work with people on, would you physically go into the office at 11 o'clock at night and do work? And their answer is commonly, no way. I'm not going to go down there to go work. Then why are you doing it from your couch? Or why are you doing it from a nightclub or a pub or a restaurant? Why are you working when your work hours are this, this? Is it in your contract that says you have to work these hours? If it is, you've got a bad contract. If it isn't and it's implied and it's a behavior that has been created by your manager or yourself or vice versa, uh, you're creating this situation yourself. It's a complete lack of boundaries. And I think people just kind of let this work and home life kind of bleed together, and it's created this situation. And, and real quick, too, I have a real big concern for the entrepreneurs and the people that are you know, doing, you know, like the, say, say the gig economy. You know, so you're not necessarily working for one organization, but you're working for a bunch, and you are working some crazy hours. Again, would you physically go into your office or workplace at 3 o'clock in the morning to do something? If the answer is no, then why are you doing it now? Because you're violating your own boundaries when you do that. Do you think some of this has also started to happen because more people are working remotely, working from home, so they're, the boundaries are really blurred even more so because it's not like, okay, I'm going into the office. It's maybe an office at home or a desk in the kitchen or something like that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely created uh, this scenario of, of burnout being more rampant. And it, it burnout starts innocently. It's not something where you wake up tomorrow morning and go, oh, I caught burnout. Okay, I'm going to take two anti-burnout pills and everything will be good. No, it builds up over time. And it, with the working remotely or working from home, oftentimes people will say, you know what? In the morning, I'm going to go have coffee with my friend, or I'm going to do some laundry, or I'm going to go wash the car, maybe go do some groceries, and then I'll then I'll do the work, and I'll work later. And they're thinking, okay, and it's a mind game that they're playing on themselves because they're thinking, okay, I'm going to gain some time by going to the grocery store during the day instead of after hours. Um, and what happens is you start creating that habit, and then you don't have clear-cut boundaries around the time that you work. Entrepreneurs and myself included, I have to check myself on when I'm going to work on something because I can easily start working on something and it could go into seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. And again, I wouldn't go in the office to do that because I know it's not healthy. Uh, but doing it home, the only difference is I'm doing it at home instead of at the office. There isn't a clear cut beginning of day, end of day type of thing. When I first started working remotely years ago, uh, actually, I did this prior to my own personal burnout story. I worked at home for the first, I think, three months of the organization that I worked at because our office wasn't built. Now, thankfully, we had a front door and a back door to our house. So what I did is I dressed up to go to work. I would walk out the back door. I'd walk in the front door as a mind game, but I needed to do that to say, okay, now it's time to work. I went to a specified room 
at home. I'd work during the day. I, you know, shut off the computer at five o'clock and went about my business. Now, where I messed up was once I did have an office, I didn't leave my work at the office. I was working at home, too. So I was working all day in the office, then I'd go home and work some more. And that was a horrible, horrible choice on my part. Yeah, but sometimes, Michael, doesn't it, especially for an entrepreneurs, right? I mean, I know when I had my tech services company, it was a 24-7, 365 job, but that's what tech work is. You know what I mean? You're responsible for making sure that people's companies are up 24-7, 365. But for a lot of other entrepreneurs, you're building your business, and it doesn't just stop at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, especially in the startup phases. So what? how do you recommend that people handle that when the work, you can't just stop, or at least you think you can't just stop because, you know, the momentum's there and you're trying to capitalize on it? Of course. Yeah, I think when you, especially in a startup, when you're first starting, yeah, there's going to be a season of longer hours, but you need to build in breaks um, because you need the technology, for example. Um, I worked in tech for a long time. My brother works in tech, and we know about the 24-7 uptime and being on call if a server crashes, all of those things, um, and I get it. Uh, but the thing of it is, if you are not taking care of yourself and building in breaks and, and whatnot, it's going to be the point where you could crash and burn like I did. Then you're not there for your client or all your clients. You're, you're, you won't be able to serve them. So you're fighting against this fear of I could lose this client if I don't respond to them the second that they res- you know, send something to me. You've got to build in you know, proper times to negotiate those things so people know, okay, I am reachable from these hours to these hours. If it's an emergency, use this different number or different email address, whatever the case may be. Come up with some mechanisms to build in and kind of filter the emergencies from the just general inquiries because, again, as you're building up your business, you're in client acquisition mode. You want to you want to prove yourself. But, again, if you're too tired or burned out or become ill, you're not going to be able to help that client at all because you're going to be laying up in a hospital bed or worse, and you need to establish some guidelines. Now, if you're in a startup and you know you're going to be putting in these long hours, schedule a time when you need to adjust that down, start planning it out, saying, okay, I know for the next two months I'm going to be working some crazy hours, but put it on your calendar that that's going to stop two months from now and start working towards it so you know in your mind, okay, this is short-term, I'm going to get through it. If it's still continuing and it's demand for that, even two or three months down the road, then you're going to have to look at your organization and go, okay, how do I afford to bring somebody else on board to minimize this? What do I need to do? And sometimes that's a conversation that's difficult to have with yourself and even to the point where I've seen some entrepreneurs actually let go some clients so they could have some more time. Does that impact their financials? Of course it does. But it's great. You've got you know a couple million dollars in the bank account and you're laying in the hospital because you had a massive stroke or a heart attack and you're not going to be able to work for the next three years. Uh, was it worth it? I say no. Uh, but again, like in your situation, you recognize that you were burning out and you went, I'm hitting the eject button. 
and I'm sure the business is doing quite well, but at what cost? And I think ultimately that's where people have to come to grips with is they have to figure out what is the cost that they're prepared to pay in order to reach the goals that they want but not damage themselves in the meantime. I, I love that phrase. What is the cost you're willing to pay? I mean, I think a lot of people aren't, especially a lot of entrepreneurs, we don't really ask ourselves that question. What is the cost you're willing to pay? And it's, as I'm saying it out loud to you multiple times, I'm going, okay, there's a lot of other questions. Are you willing to lose your family? Are you willing to lose your health? Are you willing to lose what in order to grow the business? Which is more important? We don't even talk about that. Yeah, I, it's a focus thing where we're so driven on the dream of our organization. So entrepreneurs, they have a dream. They've come to the decision that they are going to launch this product or service or business because they feel in their heart of hearts that they're going to make an impact on the world. I believe, and rightfully so, that they should be able to monetize that in such a way so they can have the life that they want, whatever that means. Success is one of those things where success to me is different than success to the person that I walked by on the sidewalk this morning. The two different definitions, but ultimately get, get to grips of what that definition is. You know, It's a case of and Steve Jobs was famous for this. You know, he said, okay, what's the end goal or, you know, the product or service that we want to have? Okay, where is that? Or where are we now? And then work backwards. What are the steps in order for us to do that? And, of course, you build in off-ramps and, and, and build in pauses because that's one thing that entrepreneurs are, are absolutely horrible at is actually pausing to take a look and see where the organization truly is. Uh, they're just so hell-bent on just going, 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 that they don't even stop to look and see, okay, am I going down the right road? Because if you're going down the wrong road, well, you're going to have to backtrack and figure out where to go elsewhere. But more importantly, you're, you're so focused on business and building things that you're not enjoying the journey in the first place. And I think a lot of people focus so much on the outcome and the end of it that they're not focusing on the, on the learning experiences of running your own business and building a client base and, and serving customers and creating products and services that are desperately needed in society. We're, they're tunnel-visioned on one thing, but they're not really paying much attention to anything else, including their health. We're not thinking about the fact that a lot of times that startup is an adrenaline rush, which is not really enjoyment. It's a chemical reaction in the body, and then you keep searching for that high over and over and over again, which makes you work more and more and more, which can lead to burnout, that constantly moving notch. Yeah, burnout, like I said, starts innocently, and I, I see a lot of executives that rose through the ranks and, you know, basically you know, are, are leaders, and they can't make the shift from being a doer to a director and they get addicted to those accolades of you've done such a great job, okay, keep going, keep going, keep going. And it gets difficult at a different level, uh, whether you're a business owner or an executive or, or you know, whatever career you happen to find yourselves in. When you are constantly trying to seek that next high instead of enjoying the experience as it is, 
you're you're setting yourself up for significant opportunities to have burnout because it's not sustainable. It's just not. It's like, you know, if you're driving your car and you put the pedal all the way down and the the engine is revving, you know, at, at full throttle, eventually the engine's going to give because it just can't. It's going to run either run out of gas or you're going to blow the engine because you're not allowing it to, to do what it's supposed to do. Um, so it's the same thing with us. You can't just constantly have the pedal down and not let up and, and slow down because when you can take a pause, you can look and see and pivot where you need to pivot uh, because if you are you have the clarity and you're, you're not completely stressed out, things are more clear for you to make decisions and adjustments in your life and your business, whatnot. You can actually navigate through some challenging situations a lot easier than if you're just you know, nose to the grind and just constantly going without taking a break. I'm trying to formulate my next question because I've got like 10 that just popped into my head based on what you said, Michael. Um, mm-hmm. That is something that when I talk to my clients, when I do keynotes or workshops, comes up so often. This idea that I can't afford to take a break almost like a fear of missing out, FOMO. What's going to happen when I get back? What decisions will I have missed? What will happen in the organization while I'm gone, whether they're the owner of the company or whether somebody's just, somebody is working inside another corporation or another small business, they're like, my plate will be so massive when I get back, I almost can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fear of missing out is a real monster for a lot of people. And when I you know, go on vacation, and I was actually commenting with a, a colleague of mine the other day, she went to a resort, and she's out on the beach, you know, and having a good time. And, you know, she'd look back and she'd see, you know, five or six people sitting at a table. You know, they're in, you know, their you know, swim gear or, you know, bathing suits or whatever. And they're working on their laptops. And this is a resort, okay? Most organizations that I know of, when they send their employees on a trip, they don't pay for the resort, okay? They're paying for the, you know, the most affordable hotel they can find. So these are people that are you know, choosing to stay at a resort, which is supposed to be relaxing and all that stuff, and they're, they're pecking away on their laptops. And because they're, well, I have to do this because if I get back, my, my email is going to be absolutely huge. Michael Hyatt, you know, my, one of my leadership mentors who I've you know, followed for a long, long time, one of the things that he does, and I haven't, I'm assuming he still does this, but I'm not sure, he, when he goes on vacation, he has an out-of-office alert, and I'm butchering this, but basically what he says is, thank you for your message. I am, I am on vacation from this date to this date. Any emails that I receive between these dates will be deleted upon my return. If you have an important matter, please email me after you know, this date, which he does like two days after he actually returns. So let's say he's going to return on September 20th. He tells people he'll be back September 22nd. What that does is it gives them a couple of days to get back into things, kind of look around, what did I miss, and approach it. And he goes through the emails, and he deletes them all. Now, before 
any employees do that, you might want to get okay with your boss on that because exactly. <laughs> I don't want I don't want anybody to take that advice and all of a sudden you, know, you start getting hate mail because they got fired because they deleted a, you know a number one client email. <laughs> all right, now hold that thought. We're going to go into the national news break right now. We'll be back more with more from Michael Levitt talking about boundaries and burnout. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how you can begin to set some boundaries for yourself even further to help you avoid burnout or recover from burnout. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. And if you missed the first half of the show because you're listening to me live on iHeartRadio, you missed a lot. My guest is Michael Levitt. He's the CEO of Breakfast Leadership, a top 20 global thought leader on culture, and a host of the top business podcast, Breakfast Leadership. And we spent the first half hour of the show just really talking about this concept of burnout and began teasing this idea of boundaries and how you can really have the life, have a life, not the life, have a life while you're growing a business. But it really is something that you have to focus on, you have to strive for. And, Michael, just before the break, you talked about how Michael Hyatt puts, who's just like an amazing, amazing man with the work that he does, how when he goes on vacation, he says, I'll be deleting all the emails that you send while I'm here. And you did provide the caution that if you're working for somebody, make sure you get permission before you do that. Now, I could never do that when I had my business. And even when I was just on my own doing it and I set something, I arranged for somebody to cover for me that, you know, they would check my email and if there was a client with an emergency, I gave them a cell phone with it. So I always had somebody to cover, but that's not always an option, as you've said, as you said during the break when you and I were talking for solopreneurs. So how do they handle getting these breaks, these moments, when maybe they're in a business that has critical times? Yeah, it's a common uh, complaint that I hear from a lot of solopreneurs and, and people that are just starting that they don't have, you know, the funds necessarily to have somebody help. One of the nice things about running a business, especially today with you know all the online ability to find assistance, um, is you know, literally look into a virtual assistant, uh, and you can find obviously find one before you go on vacation. Uh, but you know, figure out a way that you can get somebody that can at least monitor your emails or any type of um, messaging uh, system that you use that can flag um, key things. Now, of course, this is where you know, training comes in because they may not know what an emergency truly is, so you could miss on some things. But you don't want to let the fear of missing out uh, structure your day that way. Um, one of the things that I do, and you know, I mention this to people, is in this world of constant connectivity, uh, the fact of being able to completely escape from your business when there's no one else to run it is not an easy task to do. So understand that, okay, maybe if you're on vacation with your family, if you get up earlier before everyone else does, that would be a time for you to skim your messages to see if there's anything going on. Every email system has a filter mechanism so you can 
filter your newsletters and spam and information that you get into a, a separate folder. And that way, whatever's in your inbox is specific client or you know, people that you're dealing with on a regular basis situations. So, you know, if you get a few hundred emails a day, but a lot of them are newsletters and other things like that, those are filtered off into a different folder. So your inbox should only be direct messages from people that are reaching out. You can skim those pretty quickly and see if there's anything that needs addressing. If it does, you, know, you can address it and then move along and get back to your business where it's not impacting your, your family or your vacation time. But you have to figure out a structure that works for you. Morning may not be best. It might be after hours, uh, you know, 6 or 7 o'clock. If you've got clients across the globe, well, then you've got you know, that challenge as well, is trying to service people in, you know, with every time zone under the sun. But ultimately, you need to come up with a system that works for you that will ease your concerns uh, on missing something from a work standpoint and still allow you to take a break. Because if you don't take a break, you will break. That's a guarantee. Uh, that's something I, I hammer home with people. If they can't afford to take a break, they're going to break. And I'll tell you this, that particular break is a lot more costly than you taking a week off to go somewhere and get away from uh, the daily grind of, of the work that you're doing. And does break mean something different for different people? Oh, definitely. You know, some people, if you said, okay, you're going to take a week and you're going to go on a cruise somewhere, um, they may actually hate the water and hate cruise, and that's not the type of break you want. If it's a case of not going into your office for a few days and just, you know, going, you know, having a staycation or maybe going to visit family in a nearby town for a few days, just to take a pause from the work. And a lot of people say that oh, I can't do that because I have so much to do. But when I talk to people that actually follow through and do it, what happens, especially if you're not have the entrepreneurial spirit, when your body starts to relax and you start to calm down a little bit from the constant go, you start getting clarity. And when you get clarity, you start getting ideas. You start getting ideas on different things you can do for your business, different things you can do for your clients. It happens to me all the time. When I step away from the work that I do and go somewhere or just say, okay, this weekend I'm not going to go on social media or I'm not going to do anything and just be, when I'm just sitting around just not doing anything, you get more clarity and things start coming to mind. So I keep a notepad close by and I'll write down some ideas and I'll go back to them in a few days when I'm back into the work routine. But those things don't happen when you're constantly on the go. You know, we hear you know, stories about you know, some of the greatest ideas happen when you're taking a shower. Well, it's because you're in there, you're focusing on you know, getting cleaned up, and, and for those of you that have hair, you're washing your hair. I know this is radio. I don't have hair on my head, so I save millions on shampoo. Uh, but when you're in the... I'm... <laughs> when, you're, when you're in the shower... And, Ideas tend to come. That's why, you know, some people will have like a marker or something in their shower and they'll take notes, which is funny. I and mean, like when you, I, I don't see very often, but occasionally I'll like, oh, okay, you're a thoughtful person in the shower. Anywhere it takes to you know, get creative uh, is, is a great thing. But you have to, you have to schedule those times in your day 
in your weeks and your months and your years. Because if you don't schedule break times, um, you're robbing yourself creativity opportunities to actually grow your business. Uh, you, like we always hear you're spending too much time working in your business and not on your business. And it happens with entrepreneurs all the time. Okay, so let's let's talk about that part a, a little bit more because it is such a huge problem for entrepreneurs. This whole concept of I'm I have no time, I'm I'm completely overwhelmed. I can't even possibly schedule 5 minutes in for myself to breathe during the day. What are some things that you recommend for entrepreneurs to do or anybody in any business at home whatever it may be? to help them really understand what their day looks like and things that maybe they can shift. Mm -hmm. My original career was accounting, and we had billable hours, so I had to bill for my time. In order to bill for your time, you have to track your time. So I remember the the physical timesheets, you would fill in the little blocks, and you submit it to you know, the people that were keeping track of it to make sure that your billable time percentages were at a certain rate. Um, that still continues today, but it's all automated now. Kind of jealous in a way that they get to do that now. But what I tell people to do is when they say they don't have enough time to do anything, I really ask them, okay, well, I need you to track your time. And I mean literally track your time, what you do every day, how long you do it, and, and, and do this over a period of a week or two, if possible. Uh, because sometimes we have weird weeks, and sometimes there's a couple of weeks that might be a little abnormal. But ideally, you want to get a snapshot of what your normal day-to-day looks like. And you see the ebbs and flows, and you see pockets of time that there's a lot of inefficiency. Now, when people say they don't have enough time to work out, I'll ask them, do you have a Netflix subscription? Yes. What's your favorite show? They'll say two or three of them. You know, how often do you watch those? And I do the math and I say, okay, last week, according to this, you spent about 20 hours watching Netflix. You work out half an hour a day, three days a week. That's 90 minutes. You still have another 18 plus hours to dedicate to Netflix. Don't worry. You're not going to miss the show and you're actually going to be a little bit more active. <laughs> right. Everybody says, I don't have time, but then you, we all, you know, we've all heard it. We all get the same 24 hours. It's what we choose to do with those hours is what makes the biggest difference. With me, your health is in your body is the root of everything. Okay. If you don't take care of this vessel, everything in your life will be impacted by that. If you're not sleeping well, that means you're not getting enough rest. Your body has not had enough energy to recover from the damage that we do to ourselves on a daily basis. If you're not eating properly, uh, and you're like in my situation before my burnout, you know, my diet consumed of speaking into a microphone and driving around the corner, paying and getting a brown bag handed to me and me driving off and eating it. Uh, That was my (laughs) dietary choices. That's not healthy. I'm not telling you not to do it. Uh, I'm not. I'm not one of those people who say never eat this. That's that's a choice you have to make. I am saying that it shouldn't be your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, 
That's why sometimes I'm upset that these fast food restaurants have said, we got all your meals covered. I get it from a marketing standpoint for them because they want your money. I get it. But when you're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner from the same brown bag place, your body's not going to be happy with you because your body is constantly fighting to combat all of the lack of nutrients that you're throwing at yourself. So figure out a way to eat better. Um, and, and scheduling breaks, you know, and we've talked about that quite a bit. You have to block off time to take a break. Um, legislation for employment law indicates an eight-hour shift, you're supposed to get a certain number of breaks during the day. If you're an entrepreneur, for some reason, you don't take those. So you should yell at your boss and file a grievance against your boss if the boss is you and say, hey, I need to take a break. You have to do it because when you don't take a break, you're not operating at 100%. You're operating at 40%, 50% maybe on a good day. So basically your clients that you're serving is getting 40 or 50% of value from you. Uh, that's going to impact your ability to grow and scale your business because you're not doing quality work. You're just not. Um, you may think you are, but if you are rested and more focused and can really clearly hear what your clients need, you're going to be able to offer them solutions that the competition isn't. They're going to be happier with you. You're going to be doing more work with them, and the quality of work is going to be better, and you're going to be enjoying yourself while you're doing it. So by sitting, you know, and, and I've taught goal-setting workshops and, and all of that stuff, Michael, and I'm a big fan of the track your time in 15-minute increments for a couple of weeks. And I also like the idea that you alluded to of tracking what you're eating. So not only what you're physically doing in 15-minute increments, but how often are you, and it's a, and from waking to sleeping and then however many hours you sleep, you want to write, okay, I was asleep for these hours, but also tracking what you're eating so that you know what you're putting into your body. So it's like, okay, I'm gaining weight. I don't know why I'm gaining weight. I, I feel crappy an hour after I eat. You can look back and say, okay, this is leading to my mood changes or I was snapping at my staff or my spouse, or something like that. I, on your website, you have something that I love. I love, and I, I want to make sure that we talk about it, because it alludes to so many of these things you're talking about, about setting boundaries to help prevent burnout. You have something called an interruptions tracking sheet. Can you talk about that? Because I, you know, we're getting close to the end of the show, and I just think it is brilliant. Yeah, this is something that I came up with a few years ago because being an executive, you know, unless you have a gatekeeper, which uh, thankfully I did uh, when I came up with this, but I needed to train her uh, to be a little bit more of a gatekeeper than uh, she originally was. Uh, it was a case of just tracking the number of times I get interrupted in a day. Now, those interruptions are phone calls. Those are interruptions are text messages, emails, people stopping by, the infamous hallway. I have a quick question, which is a 45-minute um, process or process, as they say in the States, and process in Canada. Uh, <laughs> all, of, all of these things 
add up. And we've seen studies that indicate anytime we're interrupted, it takes our brains a few minutes to get back into gear. So using a driving analogy, let's say you're driving you know, 65 miles an hour and all of a sudden traffic light stop. Okay. How long is it going to take you to get back up to 65? Well, it's going to take you a bit. Um, and then you'll be moving along again and then oh, another traffic light. And it's, so that stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. So we're doing that to ourselves constantly. And uh, Cal Newport, you know, wrote a book, Deep Work. And, you know, there's all kinds of different mechanisms you can use to um, really focus. But I did that because what I find with a lot of people that are stressed is they're in an environment where their teammates or people or clients or whatnot are constantly bombarding them with, with things. So they're not able to spend quality time on working on what they want to work on. So I'm a big fan of time blocks. And, and going back uh, real quick on the, on the energy and feeding and time thing, one of the exercises I have people do is match their energy levels throughout the day. So when, you know, 8 o'clock, what's your energy level? And rate it. And it helps people figure out if they're a quote-unquote morning person or an afternoon person or evening person. When they know when their energy levels are higher, and they can accomplish more tasks and things that take energy. They can structure their schedule to work on those things during that time of day. For me, it's the morning. In the afternoon, I tend to use for more meetings and conversations and calls and follow-ups because it's just conversation, and I can document some things, but it's not you know, deep analytical work. Uh, so it, for me, I, it works better, and what I find is my day feels less draining because I've, I've put the right blocks and the right energy time frames that allow me to accomplish a lot and at the end of the day feel just completely wiped out because I've energized things to the point where okay, I'm, I'm working in my sweet spot for most of the day. And it makes a huge, huge difference when you do it that way. And for everybody, it's different, but most people have no clue. They may say, well, yeah, I'm a morning person, but they may actually be better working on tasks in the afternoon than the morning or vice versa. And that's important to know, but what happens if you are better working on things late in the afternoon or an evening, but your business, all of your clients are have problems in the morning? How do you handle that? Other than go into a new business. <laughs> A, you can go into a new business. B, you can train your clients to have problems in the afternoon and the <laughs> evening. No. Um, you know, I, I, IT, you know, having worked in, I say this tongue-in-cheek, you know, of course, like, yeah, they set things to fail at certain times a day, you know, except the, you know, the real bad ones. Those are the ones that have their failures in the middle of the night. Now, you want it during the you know, waking hours. It's easier to address. Uh, it, it's an interesting dynamic, and, again, you have to – dig a little deeper and go, okay, why are they having problems in the day? What's going on? Is there a design situation? Is it user um, training that needs to be done? Is there some bugs in the software, for example, or in the equipment that's creating these problems? Figure out what the root causes of these things are. It could be IT. It could be anything. Address the root cause. Figure out what's causing it. See if you can make it where those things happen less frequently or shift it to a different you know, time, if you can. But ultimately, just figuring out, okay, what's causing that? And a lot of times, it's okay, you know, the software hiccups every time. Well, why? What's going on? And I think that's one of the things that 
when you have time in your schedule, you can actually deeply look at what's causing things. Because if you're constantly in firefighting mode, and this is something that IT struggles with constantly, um, you're not able to address what's causing it. You're just constantly just firefighting and putting the fire out. But you're not figuring out, okay, who's lighting the match? You know, what's going on here? Why is it doing this? Get to that root cause, you can make some adjustments, and then ultimately, hopefully, you don't have to call the fire department so much. Yeah, it, and that's so important, Michael. And we're, I want to make sure that people know how to reach you because I also know that you offer some consults for people to help them understand where they're at and to give them tips and, and ideas on what they can do to help them either if they're in burnout or they're approaching burnout, how to set boundaries. So how do people reach you? Uh, best way is to go to breakfastleadership.com. They can also email me. It's michael at breakfastleadership.com. I'm on all the social media channels under Be Fast Leadership. Pro tip, do not put that on a license plate. Um, you'll get in trouble with the authorities. <laughs> they don't like seeing the word fast in a plate for some reason. Um, thankfully, I don't own a red vehicle because that is even more heat score when it comes to that. But I have BFAST Leadership on the social media. And uh, if you look up hashtag Breakfast Leadership, you'll find a lot of things that I post, constantly sharing uh, articles and, and things that I've created or curated from others because uh, ultimately my my goal in life is to eliminate burnout from the vocabulary of people because they're not burning out anymore. They're living their ideal life and doing the things that they want to do so they can make the biggest contribution to society, which benefits us all. I love the work that you do because it's so authentically who you are, Michael. I mean, you approach this from somebody who's lived it, somebody who, like, lost everything in the course of a little over a year and had to not just reinvent your life but rethink your life. Like, what matters to me? Why do I do what I do? And what will energize me to get out of bed every morning? And that's not that's rarer than we think it is for somebody to really be in their business as authentically as you are and to share the things that you do. So I want to thank you for doing that and for the work that you're doing. I appreciate it, and I appreciate the awesome work that you're doing, Laura, and, and making making the world a better place. And I think ultimately that's what we all cherish and desire to do is you know, make our own little dent in the universe with you know the gifts and the skills, or in my case, you know the experiences. You know, I, I could have easily rebuilt my life and said, okay, I'm good, and and gone about my business and all of that. But when you see too many people across the globe going through what this burnout epidemic is uh, and you have an ability to change that um, I can't sleep knowing that I could do something and I chose not to so that's why I do it have you found that people can really recover from burnout or avoid it and how long does it typically take uh, yes, they can. Um, how long it takes is really dependent on on their circumstances and willingness to take a look at how they're living their life in a non-judgmental way. That's crucial. There's a lot of times people that are burned out, they're beating themselves up for being in that situation. Right? And self-care and self-love is a, a core component on 
um, reinventing yourself is, you know, you know, falling in love with yourself again and you know, realizing, you know, despite all the challenges and struggles, you know, you're pretty dang awesome. And now let's get you back to, you know, that core and figure out what were some of the mechanisms that created the situation in the first place so you can adjust things so it doesn't happen again. Because I see people recover from burnout, but then they go right back down that road again just because of habits, life choices, if they're a people pleaser, you name it. There's all kinds of different ingredients. But ultimately, is you figure out a way to you know, rid yourself of burnout once and for all and not just approach it with a Band-Aid and you know, get, get to the core of what were the ingredients, adjust accordingly, and be more aware of the signs of it happening so you can adjust before it, you go down that road again. I love that because it, it is so true. If you don't change what's at the core that caused the burnout to happen in the first place, then you're just going to go right back into it. It's like asking the same question over and over again and expecting to get the same answer. Mm-hmm. You know, you got you got to change the question if you want to change the outcome. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. I know we've had to reschedule on both sides several times, but I always look at it as my guests are on at the exact moment they're meant to be on. Totally agree, and thank you, Laura, for all the awesome work you're doing. It's been a pleasure. And one last, how do people reach out to you? Uh, Breakfastleadership.com or email is michael at breakfastleadership.com. All right, perfect. Thank you so much. And everybody, you've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.